Pick up the uh, pew Bible within your reach, or the chair Bible. Um, page 1169. Um, 1169 is where the text for today is found. Um, and I just want to briefly express to you... Um, my appreciation for your affection, really, for Anna and for me, and the significance, real, um, what you are achieving in praying for me as your regular preacher. Um, and I know you are. I, I hear you pray for me, you speak your praying for me, and I want you to know that I can tell. Um, I'm very thankful for how the Lord working with my studies, with my thinking, with my meditating, my preparation. Um, the, 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 I, th I thought about this, I came to this freshness a minute ago, thinking, oh, I need to apologize again for this wonderful title, <laughs> which will not show up in this sermon at all. <laughs> Faith, like changing your birthday suit. Um, I'll make a great poem out of that sometime, but um, you're, much of what you pray for is that I would be able to preach with clarity and bring God's words to you and that means a lot of editing a lot of bright ideas that yeah, <laughs> they won't show up and um, there's a lot that's happened since whatever almost a week ago I passed this homily printed and much of what happened was because you prayed that God would work as he promised through the preaching of his word. And, 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 and being the man riding shotgun on that, um, wow, uh, thank you and continue. So let us hear the word of God through Paul the Apostle to the Colossians. Again, page 1169 of that pew Bible. And our attention today is going to be on chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Um, I'm going to back up and read the, from the top of the chapter, uh, because this is how he builds up speed and gets us where we're going today. Hear the word of the living and true God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Please pray with me. 
Father. You have revealed yourself in your Son. He is the image of the invisible God. This man of blood, of blood and muscle and bone, of days and nights, of faithfulness, of obedience and punishments. Here we see you. Oh, we see you most fully, Father, in your Son. He shines with your affection and love for him. The very brilliance of your glory. We would see Jesus. Take confidence asking in his own name. Amen. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Christian here. Because the Lord Jesus is above at the right hand of God, seated, godliness is your ordinary way of life. Christians, here, by setting your mind on the Lord Jesus above, you enjoy heavenly things here. And that grows godliness. Godliness is an awkward word in our time and place, but godliness is your treasure. Godliness is life from the dead. Godliness is love and truth and faithfulness and industry for glory in the most ordinary activities. Godliness handles and unfolds and fosters the goodness in all things. Honor and thankfulness are its heartbeat, the notes of that heartbeat. Honor, thanks. Honor, thanks. Honor, thanks. Godliness is the gift of life in Christ. Now your peers will nod at mentions of values, even beliefs, but perhaps convictions, although that's a word that often rings with divisiveness now. Godliness may sound worse, perhaps old-fashioned, the wrong side of history and all that. If you speak of godliness, you announce that God himself is your standard, that you yourself are under his lordship, his word, his character, his rule. That's the intimate authority in your heart and at your elbow. By comparison with the, the virtue talk around us, godliness can sound constricting, demanding, overbearing. Now you know that that cynicism is foolishness. Like every temptation that pokes at you commonly, regularly. Christian, hear this. 
because the Lord Jesus is above at the right hand of God, seated. Godliness is your ordinary way of life. Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians to encourage them and defend them. There are insidious influences that turn you away from godliness towards empty religiosity. Instead of setting your mind on Christ, you're urged to focus on rules. Instead of seeking him, you're coached to be a good enough Christian, doing it right, doing it well, and basically you doing what you should. That's the big picture. That's all of it. You doing the details. Well enough. Of course, the difference between right and wrong matters. God is good, not indifferent. Of course, setting your mind on Christ above and seeking Christ, well, these are things that you do. Godliness is not following your impulses with Jesus as your all-purpose excuse. Christian, here, by setting your mind on Christ above, you enjoy heavenly, heavenly things here. This grows godliness. Paul is calling you to godliness in verses 8 through 10. He clearly tells you, don't. He gives you a list of five things which you must put away. He gives a crisp command, do not lie to one another. As a Christian, you aren't surprised by the authority of do not. To some degree, you knew about these do nots before you ever had heard anything from the Lord Jesus. Also, you aren't surprised that Paul presumes that you need to hear him clearly say, don't. Christians sin. Christians have a battle with sins, a constant struggle. You also aren't surprised that he says, now. Something decisive has changed. It is a, a new time in your life. Christ is raised and you trust in him. God's commands are a different thing than ever they were before for you. Still, like the Colossians, you need to hear and remember and understand more richly your Savior. You need to set your mind on him and seek him. Paul shows Jesus to you in verses 8 through 10, by answering three questions. One, how significant is godliness? Two, how is godliness possible? And three, how is godliness done? Christian, here, because the Lord Jesus is above, at the right hand of God, seated, Godliness is your ordinary way of life. So how significant is godliness? We can discuss the five things which must be put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. It's useful to gather up all these kinds of specifics in the New Testament, to understand the rules. But the significance of godliness is not expressed by the number of items on a long list. It would need to be a very long list. You must put them all away, Jesus says. I mean, Paul says. That little word all points back to the list of sins against marriage in verse 5. 
and to this list that ends in obscene talk. But it's out there between those two lists. It points off ten innumerable other things left unmentioned. And Paul's list has more meaning than the number of items. He begins with anger, the disposition, affection, and meditation of the heart. You see, sin is personal, not external. So is godliness. It works on the inside. Of course, anger leads to wrath, the expression of rage, the use of words to harm others, slander, and that general vandalism of our obscene speech. Sin is not only personal, it's productive. And godliness is also productive. A mind set on Christ above produces actions and reactions and conversations and even, even playful wit, which are kind and wholesome and edifying. Paul's shift from anger to lying demonstrates how sin is not only personal and productive, it's also pluriform. It moves and shifts into all the possibilities. Sin festers and takes on all sorts of variations in the complexity of life and relationships. This is how significant godliness is. It is significant as the rot it replaces. Godliness works out in all the ways and the angles of life. Godliness is personal, productive, and pluriform because it's not a cataloged and cross-referenced summary of God's law. The root of godliness and the fruitfulness of godliness and the richness of godliness appears in the conclusion of Paul's call to put them all away. Godliness is, quote, the knowledge after the image of the Creator. This knowledge is the substance of how godliness is possible and how godliness is done. But first, let's reflect on the significance it gives to godliness. In Colossians 1.15, Paul declared that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jew who lived and died and rose in Palestine, stop, the man who Paul calls the beloved son in 113. Paul declared, he is the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, when you read of Jesus, when you pray to Jesus, he is the one who is intimate and eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, goodness, justice, and truth. He is the living and true God. Godliness is a heart knowledge of him. It's a knowledge that works in your life to produce godly fruit. Just as you were created to produce from your heart out to your hands. Godliness is a knowledge that matches all the pluriform diversity and interconnecting complexity that Jesus worked in, wrought in, wove, stitched into the world. This is the significance of godliness. It encompasses all your creative design. It overtakes 
all your corruption. The only limits on godliness are one, the limits of your created person, and two, the line of active warfare between the kingdom of the beloved Son and the domain of darkness. Jesus is seated in victory. This is the significance of godliness. It is all of your life under the king's blessing. Christian here, because the Lord Jesus is above at the right hand of God, seated, godliness is your ordinary way of life. How is godliness possible? This question deserves to be asked by any non-Christian who hears you speak of godliness. Your faith in Christ contains no boast about your character, no claim to something better about you that makes you a Christian. How is godliness possible? This question needs to be asked by you when your sinfulness pulls you into discouragement, when you think that you are too lousy a Christian to hope for anything but heaven after. This question should be asked in order to make Jesus himself the comfort and the energy of your godliness. Paul sets it up very simply as he works through these don'ts. But then just crisply, do not lie to one another. Why does Paul think that this command, or any command to godliness, is possible? He states it clearly. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What I'm about to explain may be new and unfamiliar. It was not new to the Colossians. That's why Paul can express so briefly his decisive point. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self touches on a fundamental element in Paul's teaching about Jesus. It is fundamental teaching about what Jesus did, his work, and about who Jesus is, his person. So from the depth, from, 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 from the structure that holds it all together, Jesus is the answer for how godliness is possible. The Son of God became a man. And he became the mediator of the new covenant. The Son of God became Jesus. He took on the responsibility and role to reconcile God's people to God himself. He took the role in the covenant of grace that Adam had in the covenant of works. Adam's life and sin had decisive and determining effects on all people descended from him. Jesus' life of righteousness, his life of obedience, his death for sin had decisive and determining effects for all who trust in him. The old humanity was corrupt, enslaved to sin, incurring only condemnation. The new humanity is free from sin and instead blessed by God. 
this freedom and pardon were obtained by Christ acting as our substitute. This is the deep structure of Paul's teaching about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It flashes all through his letters. It's most densely presented. You can go and chew into it most directly in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. You must understand. Jesus not only did this, Jesus became this. Jesus not only bring into existence a new humanity, triumph over sin, Jesus is the new man. The first and the center and the seed of the new humanity. The new humanity is free from sin and death because Jesus took the responsibilities of sinful humanity on himself. He became a man under the law and worked as our substitute. Godliness is possible because Jesus has in fact lived out perfect godliness. Sinners now can be godly because they receive what Jesus has accomplished. We've seen previously that when sinners trust in Christ, Paul says they die to sin and rise to life with Christ. The same is here expressed in the terms of the contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. When sinners trust in Christ, they put off Adam with all the consequences of his failure, and they put on Jesus with all the consequences of his life and death and resurrection. By faith in Christ, you are cut off from the life you received from Adam. With the practices that dominate all life from Adam, sin and all its personal, productive, and pluriform degradation. By faith in Christ, you are joined into Jesus' humanity with the renewing knowledge of God that is itself personal, productive, and pluriform. Now, the English Standard Vision, Version, your pew Bible here, uh, like the NIV and other modern translations, does not read old man and new man. Those are Paul's words, and you will read old man and new man in the King James Version. Instead, the ESV and others use this expression, old self and new self. The translation shift is wholesome because of Paul's point. The individual Christian has undergone a decisive shift by faith in Christ. You are no longer locked up in sin, the sin that came from Adam. You, your very self, are now free in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Yes, you have a fight with sin. Yes, you still need to take seriously the Bible's clear and specific don't, do not, and you must not. Godliness is possible. Indeed, it is ordinary. It is your basic business. Christ is godly. You are joined to Christ. Godliness is yours. Christian here, because the Lord Jesus is above at the right hand of God, seated, godliness is your ordinary way of life. So godliness is possible. How is godliness done? 
Jesus did godliness by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You do godliness by faith in Christ. This is Paul's first and fundamental command in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Jesus is seed in victory. This is the substance of Psalm 110. Listen to some weeks back. Jesus is seed in victory. Psalm 110. That's what Paul is bringing up. The most frequently quoted bit from the book of Psalms. Jesus seated. He's seated in victory while the Father, by the activity of the Holy Spirit, works out the results of his victory throughout the world and throughout history. That victory comes by the preaching of Christ. That victory comes by faith in Christ preached. What Jesus has is yours. By faith feeding on him, you're able to fight against sin and live with real godliness, personally from your heart, productively in your actions. And within all the pluriform moments and events that are your life, you, you and Christ. Yes. There is perfect human godliness in the resurrected and ruling Christ. No. Your great distressing imperfection neither disqualifies you nor cuts you off from godliness. Your godliness is real, even in the presence of your real sinfulness. Christ is godly. You are in Christ. Grow in the godliness that you have holding on to him in faith. Now sometimes the call to godliness that Paul gives is expressed paradoxically. Godliness is becoming what you actually are. Becoming what you are. Or godliness is becoming in yourself today what you are in Christ already. Today already. Perhaps you might express it this way. The call, the call to godliness is the call to enjoy what is actually yours. The table is set with the meal and you are seated. And to enjoy it, you eat it. Being hungry doesn't mean you can't eat. You're seated at the table. Being sinful doesn't mean you can't be godly. You trust in the godly Savior. Paul says that already you have put off the old man and put on the new man. You already did this. Now, today, you are called to enjoy a thing that is already yours. The meal metaphor, I think, is closer than the, the tiny paradoxes. You have been called to feed on Christ, to take your meal with Christ, to sit at table with Christ. Already you've been seated with him. Now is the time to dig in and eat. There is a then before and a now of today. This is why Paul speaks 
of putting on Christ by faith as both done and a deed to do. Paul says this very clearly in Galatians 3.27. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The putting on has happened. This is shown to you and celebrated before you and made tangible to you in your baptism. A baptism you don't remember, perhaps. But a baptism done to you. The promises for you to hold on to. This is as past and done as that day of water and words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you come to faith? Have you been baptized? You have put on Christ. No longer is Adam your inheritance. You have all that is bound up in the resurrected Christ seen in heaven. Already, this is the Christian. And also, godliness is a thing to be done fresh today. Paul says, in baptism you put on Jesus. When Paul calls Christians to fight sin, he speaks of a new activity, an effort, an action, a faith today. Hear how Paul speaks. This is Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Another day, God willing, we will examine closely, putting off, putting on. But at this juncture, one point needs to be made clear. Paul does not speak of you putting on obedience or reverence or even godliness. You've been called to enjoy not a thing that is yours, not a godliness that is yours. You are called to enjoy a who that is yours, a Christ who is yours, a Savior from sin that is yours. You don't have ideas in your head. You don't just have religious convictions. You don't just have biblical commands and practice. You have faith in Christ. By faith you put Jesus on. You have the Lord Jesus your own. When Paul refers to the significance of godliness, the depth and height and width, he is displaying what's possible for you. He is not sketching the parameters of your embarrassment. He is not all cynical when calling Christians to fight day after day against sin. He is calling you to set your mind on Christ who died and rose and ascended. To set your mind on the Christ who triumphed over sin for you. You are dressed in him. You already are clothed in his saving victory. In the godliness that he has wrought out to sanctify sinners. It is by the same faith, by the same word, in the same way as when first you came to him. Jesus is how godliness 
is possible. Faith in Jesus is how you do godliness. Christ's victory over sin fills up all the significance of your godliness. You've trusted Christ. You've put on Christ. Christian fear, because the Lord Jesus is above at the right hand of God, seated, godliness is your ordinary way of life. Christian fear, by setting your mind on the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus above, you enjoy, you handle, you have heavenly things here. The network of godliness. Pray with me. Father, as the Son is your delight, glorify Him. Deal with us as He deserves. Persuade us in our hearts of how wide and deep and high is your love for us in the Lord Jesus. Please, with the, the measurement of the knowledge of our sin and our sinfulness, display to us the glory of our Savior, the great God, who has brought us home who does not deal with us according to our sin. He counts us in the number with all the rights and privileges of his children. And Lord, do let this be seen and heard. Let this become a whisper and a wonder and a, a beckoning. 